0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Second Samuel chapter 5 tonight, and we are going to um, gonna start just with one verse in just a minute, but looking forward... the passage tonight, a great, great story and uh, some incredible, I think, life application for us, but we all have times when it seems in our life things seem to be unraveling. You ever had one of those times? Things seem to be falling apart. Maybe someone might call it that time when life is caving in or everything's coming in around you, times when perhaps... It seems as though what you thought was clear from God is is no longer clear from God. Times when you find yourself uh, baffled by circumstances in your lives and wondering what is going on. You're like uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Leia and Chewbacca. I don't remember what episode it was in, but when they're in that trash compactor and everything's just coming in. That's a, it's an iconic scene from the first few is four. Thank you, boys. Uh, it's an iconic scene, everything coming in around you, and you're trying to do whatever you can to support it. Really, you could think of a ton of different movies, I mean, all, all the way back to the early, early movies that came out about different things that would take place, and invasion, and different stuff that would happen, and just everything crashing in. Sometimes we have times like that in life, don't we? Man, when things are going well, when you feel like you're doing well, you feel like marriage is good, finances are good, family is moving forward, and yet you find yourself seeing things begin to unravel. All of a sudden, you get that phone call. All of a sudden, you get that text. All of a sudden, you check the bank account to find out something crazy has happened. Well, tonight as we come to our passage in 2 Samuel, I really think that David could have been at this place, the place where it seemed as though everything was unraveling. But in 2 Samuel 5, I think David learned some lessons that helped him ultimately be able to say what we're going to read tonight in verse number 12. So Second Samuel 5, stand with me if you will. We're just going to read one verse just to start tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to cover all 12 verses, but just want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 5 and, and verse number 12 as we get started tonight. It says this, and David, he perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. And that He, God, had exalted David's kingdom for his God's people, Israel's sake. me read it one more time. David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that He had exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel's sake. We we're we're going to see this tonight, but at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter number five, we're going to discover probably it would seem that David would be at a low point. At the beginning of chapter number five, David would, we're going to recount all of the events in seven years leading up to 2 Samuel chapter number five. It it won't take us seven years to do this, but we're just gonna go through and recount this and build up to 2 Samuel five. And as you begin 2 Samuel chapter number five, I can almost imagine David saying, God, what is going on? God, where are you? God, why And I can imagine David wondering, God, things just seem to be falling apart. But by the end of verse number 12, David's saying, oh, God, that's what you were doing. It kind of goes along with this morning's message. Those aha moments happen when we're close to God. Man, David found himself close to God and realizing, okay, God, now I see what you're doing. And tonight I'm going to help us uh, through the word of God, ask God to help us to find out just some truths that will encourage us at the times when we feel like everything's unraveling. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into it tonight. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for the power of your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that I do not have to come up with creative things to say, and I don't have to uh, um, try to be something I'm not other than just giving your word. Lord, there's some great truth for us tonight, and I pray that you would just speak through me. I pray that you'd help each one of us to be attentive. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, maybe hear the message from this morning, that we'd be responsive to your word and understand it. And then, God, that we would learn to apply it even into this week, that we would uh, reflect upon it and think about it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that ultimately tonight, when it seems as though things may be unraveling that we can trust that you are always working. Lord, I love you. Thanks for loving us, and I pray that you bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says this. It says, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The principle that's taught in Philippians 1 that Paul is really trying to get across is just the thought hey, no matter what's going on, you can trust that God is still working. You can go to Romans, and we can be confident that uh, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And uh, Paul goes on to say, man, if you're saved, then you can know that God is always working. But if we're honest with each other tonight, there are times in our life when it seems as though God has disappeared. And be honest, be honest tonight, be honest with yourself. Uh, There's times in life when, when you, probably like me, have said, God, like, what happened? God, where are you? God, what is going on? I can see David being at this place in his life. Very quickly, I want <clears throat> to excuse me. I want us to see why David could have been here. When when you come to Second Samuel chapter number five, why is it that David could have been at the place of saying, "God, uh, what's going on?" Why could he have thought things were unraveling? In order for us to know that, we need to rewind seven. Or excuse me, we need to rewind thirteen years. Okay, 13 years and really, really about 18 or 16 years. 13 to 16 years we need to go back. Where do we go back to? Well, we go back to a pasture right outside of of Bethlehem where a uh, 15, 16, 17-year-old boy is is taking care of sheep. He gets called in to a ceremony that's taking place to find out that Samuel the priest is there and Samuel the priest ends up saying, hey, David, you are gonna be the future king and anoints David as king. Fast forward a a few months, possibly even a a year later, and you find David in a a valley. And this time, David is in a valley. He had gone to visit his brothers who were at war. And now in this valley, visiting his brothers who who, who are at war, he hears a a giant come out and mock the living God. And David says, is anybody going to stand up to him? And they all say, well, David, you know, the the older brother says, David, who do you think you are? David, you can't do anything, and and David says, you're right, I can't, but God can. And so we know the story of David and Goliath. Man, David picks up those five smooth stones and uses that sling and tells Goliath, before I'm done with you, the the crows are going to eat of your flesh, and and, uh, because you mock the living God. And remember that statement, he said, is there not a cause? And David goes out and slays that giant. Shortly after that, you would find that David becomes a a trusted young man in in the presence of the king, King Saul. Of course, the story would continue, and many of you know it, David would go in and out from before the king and and have a a great reputation, a great character before Saul. And Saul loved David as his own son and David loved Jonathan as a brother and Jonathan loved David as a brother and David soon would become a a general in the military. Just a 20-year-old, 19-year-old general in the military that would go out and and come in and the people saw uh, the great leader that David was. But about three years after David had killed Goliath, and about a a year and a half after David had become this great general, this great leader, Saul becomes jealous and begins to target David, right? And he chases him around and tries to kill him, and multiple occasions tries to take out David. And David would spend about a decade, about a decade he would spend just running, Finally, you get to the end of 1 Samuel and Saul's dead. Saul dies. No doubt, David maybe, even though he he was bummed because it's the the man of God that he reverenced and he said, hey, God put Saul up. I'm not gonna lift my hand against him. Even though he had that respect for him, I can imagine David going, all right, all right, now it's gonna be time. But then Abner comes in. And Abner creates Ishbosheth as king. And for seven years, Abner and Ishbosheth run the northern tribes. David is just now with Judah. Well, Abner gets offended at Ishbosheth, turns on him, goes to David, says, I'm joining you. Joab hears about it, comes back, kills Abner. Ishbosheth's men, Baana and Rechab, find out that Abner's dead, and they turn around and sneak in and kill Ishbosheth. And here's David this whole time thinking, what is going on? My right hand man, Joab, just murdered a man in cold blood. That man's king, Ishbosheth, just got murdered in cold blood. And these are supposed to be the people of God doing this. At this point, <clears throat> you come to 2 Samuel 5. Those are the years leading up to it. I believe that David probably, at this point in life, would be a little flustered, a little frustrated, maybe wondering, God, you said that I would be king through Samuel. God, 16 years ago, God, 16 years ago, you said that that I'd be king. But there's been all this lying and manipulation and backbiting and murder. God, right now I'm only leading, when you come to 2 Samuel 5, David could say, I'm I'm only leading one tribe. God, you said it would be all 12. God, your people aren't following you. God, they're they're not listening to me. Really, the only ones that are coming to me are those that are discouraged and depressed and those that are in in debt. Maybe David would have said, God, there's just so much nonsense taking place. Come to 2 Samuel 5, I think David would say, God, everything's coming apart. The plans that Samuel told me were gonna take place, they haven't happened. But through this time, I find in 2 Samuel 5 that David learned some incredible truths. Some truths that I think will be helpful to us when it seems like things are unraveling. I want us to see first of all tonight when it seems when things seem to be unraveling. Remember, number one, is God is still bigger than the schemes of man. And God is still bigger than the schemes of man. <clears throat> I won't recount a lot of the story because we just walked through it. But some of the schemes leading up to. 2 Samuel chapter number 5 are very interesting schemes. David, 1 Samuel 29, David almost fights with the Philistines against Israel. Remember the story? He's supposed to go in with Achish, the king of the Philistines, a certain tribe of the Philistines. He's supposed to go in, and God saves him from fighting against his own people. 1 Samuel 29. That was just a few years earlier from what we read in 2 Samuel chapter number 5. What were some other schemes of men? Well, David retreating to the Philistines was one. Saul turning to the witch of Endor was another one. First Samuel chapters 27 and 28 recounts for us just a few years before our passage where Saul is trying to manipulate and trying to uh, really make God be on his side. And we preached that passage last year. But God ended up turning that Turning that around to where his name was glorified, and Saul ended up dying. What were some other schemes of men? Well, Abner. Abner conniving and setting up Ishbosheth as that puppet king, 2 Samuel 2, 8 and 9. Abner was one that you know the story, we were in it a few weeks ago. He was one that he was like, I he knew. He knew David should have been king, and yet he set up Ishbosheth so that he could still have control. That was a, a scheme of man. What else was a scheme of man? Abner betraying Ishbosheth. Abner going to David in 2 Samuel 3:12, and he said, Hey, make your league with me, and behold, my hand will be with you, and I will bring Israel all to you. And Abner was still trying to scheme and manipulate and get his way. Joab killing Abner was a scheme of man. We're just talking about what are, what are some things that men were doing to try to get their way. Joab killing Abner was one. 2 Samuel three twenty seven, he secretly took him out, called him to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, the well outside of the city because he knew what he was doing was wrong, and he killed him. Last week, we saw the scheme of man with Baana and Rechab, Killing Ishbosheth, trying to gain acceptance with David, 2 Samuel 4 8, that they bring the head of Ishbosheth to David and they say, Look at this great thing we've done. Oh, we did it for you, your enemy. And then remember they tried to spiritualize that decision? Oh, look what God did. Look at what God did through us. All of these situations, and we don't have time to do it, but all of these situations, are the crazy precursors that lead up to 2 Samuel chapter number five. All of them had happened in the last few years. Everything except for David and Saul, David with the Philistines and Saul with the witch of Endor, everything else had happened in the last 10 years. I think David probably was thinking, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Here's a bunch of murder. God, it looks like you maybe have... Lost control. We want to know the lesson that David learned was that God is bigger than the schemes of men. He learned that you have all these people, David included, who were trying to make God fit their timeline. But God doesn't work on man's timeline. He works on his timeline. And a man man can scheme and manipulate and connive But aren't you thankful that God's bigger than all of that? Man, God can can overcome the best of man's schemes. And When you remember this, and I really, uh, I want to apply this to today, and I want us to understand a few thoughts. Personally, you and I, we often can try to get ahead of God. And we know that maybe God's doing something. We know that God might have some plans in store for us. We know that God has some good things, maybe at work or whatever. And and we try to manipulate the, the scene, if you will. We try to make things happen. And God's bigger than your schemes. And I'm thankful that God can work through our schemes. I'm thankful that we can try the best we can to make our plans work, claiming they're gods. But God in the end says, nope, that, that's not my plan. <laughs> I think right now about even my life and the plans that I had laid out and the, the decisions that I had laid out. And I remember calling my dad in particular on one of those decisions. And he said, Dennis, if you make that decision, you are going to make the worst decision of your life. And I'm thankful it took the counsel of a father for me not to make the dumbest decision I could have ever made. I'm thankful that my scheme, God was bigger than that. I think about even the plans with starting Moses Lake Baptist Church and how God has orchestrated all of that years ago with with just different plans and things that, that we had in our mind of what God was gonna do. And yet we look and say, wow, God is way bigger than our plans. God's way bigger than our scheme." And I wanna tell you tonight that when you're going through a time when it seems like things are unraveling, sometimes one of the best things to do is just let go. I, don't li- I, I, I know the statement, let go and let God. I understand that, but I really think it's kind of overused, but it, the, the principle is, is simple. Sometimes we're trying to manipulate, and we're trying to connive, and we're trying to make things happen our way, and God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm bigger than your schemes. God can overcome The best of man's schemes. I say tonight that when things seem to be unraveling, we need to remember, first of all, that God is still bigger than the schemes of man. Secondly, tonight, when things seem to be unraveling, we need to remember that God, He is still able to work on hearts. Man, God is still able to work on hearts. Let's go to our story, 2 Samuel chapter number five and verse number one. Ishbosheth has just been killed. David has just killed Baana and Rechab. The northern tribes have no leader. David at this time is only the king over Judah. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and in Jerusalem, he, went, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So at, at the age of 30, David was anointed king over Judah. At the age of 37, 37, David is anointed king over all of them. 17 years had gone by. Seven? Can you think about that? 17 years, or excuse me, 20 years probably. 20 years since David was... First told he would be king. But now the people are finally coming to him and anointing him king. I want us to think about it tonight, but put yourself in David's shoes. Here you have all these people. I mean, for the last 17 years, you've been running for your life from the majority of them. For the last 17, 20 years, uh, you have been their enemy. And now they come and they go, hey, hey buddy, hey pal, King David. They're trying to chum it up. Put yourself in David's shoes. What are you thinking? man? thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You haven't changed. There's probably some sort of trick. But I want you to notice with me tonight that You and I, we can see the work of man, but we can never see where God is working. You know where God was working? God was working on the hearts of people. They come to David and they present a case to David. Hey, David, we want you to be our king. And here's a few reasons why. David, first of all, we have a good relationship with you. They speak of his relationship to them. Do you see what, he, what they say? Hey, you are our bone, you are our flesh. You know what they were saying? Hey, we are all of the same people. We are all of the Hebrew people. We are all of God's people and they recognize his relationship to them. David, you are one of us and we are one of you. I mean, we are one and the same, David. We belong to God. They recognize his relationship to them. Then they, they recognize his service to them. You see what they said? If you go to the passage in verse number um, verse number two, also in time past when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel." Hey, David? Hey, David, we remember. We remember the general that you were. David, we remember the battles that you won. David, we remember who you were, and we remember how you behaved yourself. And David, we remember you. What what were they recounting? They were recounting to him, hey, we know about your service, his relationship, his service. But then most importantly, they remembered his divine appointment. (laughs) They remembered his appointment by God. Look at verse number two again. And the Lord said to thee, right in the middle, the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel and thou shalt be captain over Israel. You know what the people of Israel were doing? They were recognizing, David, this is your rightful position. Hey, David, we know that God has appointed you as our king. What do I see in verse number two? I see a people with a changed heart. I see a people coming to him recognizing, hey, David, we need you. Hey, David, not only are we we kin, but David, we recognize your testimony. And David, we understand and we remember your appointment. We know that God puts you in this position. Uh, That's a long way from where we were at in 1 Samuel, the end of 1 Samuel. That's a long way from 2 Samuel chapter three and verse number one. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. That's a long way from Israel standing against Judah. You know, what we need to remember, we need to remember that when things seem to be unraveling, That we can't see where God is working. We can't see where God is working. You know what David saw? David saw murder and pain and hurt. David saw frustration, betrayal and war. But God was working in places that David could not see. See, God was working on the heart of the people through this entire time. And when they anoint him king, this is the third time David would be anointed king. The first time, 20 years earlier, 17-year-old boy. The second time, seven years earlier with Judah. And now the third time. You know, it helps us remember that God's timetable, I said it a moment ago, but God's timetable is different than our timetable. God was not late. And you know what I see this, this evening is I see God working on the heart of people. But not only do I see God working on those people's heart, I also see God working on David's heart. How so? Well, when, when they came to David, and they, they anointed him king, it seems, and history would record it, and you can go, or the book of 1 uh, Chronicles records it, that David's receptive of them. David doesn't push back. David doesn't fight against them. David doesn't say, how dare you? David, who do you think you are? You guys have been trying to kill me for 17 years. No, I won't reign over you. I'm going to be a master over you. David didn't do that. You know what David did? He received them. You know what David did? He gave grace instead of harboring a grudge. One man said it this way about our own lives, that we could exempt ourselves from the potential blessings of God because we are nurturing our bitternesses and our hurts. You know what David was doing? David was showing grace saying, hey, God is bigger than everything that's been taking place and I can see that he's working on your heart. You know what God was doing? God was working on David's heart too. I think time and time again, we could show us from scripture, this is why I believe one of the reasons David was called a man after God's own heart. His heart just kept turning to the Lord. David had an openness to the Lord and David learned the principle that it's a glory to pass over a transgression. You know, we need to realize when things seem to be unraveling, sometimes it's relationships with people. Sometimes it's hurts caused by other people. Sometimes our life can be unraveling and we're in that compactor, we're in that trash compactor because of the decisions of other people. And the fact is that uh, people can do some dumb things, can't they? And people can say some horrific, hurtful things. And people can, can act in absolutely absurd ways. And sometimes it's the people we work with. Sometimes it's the people in our circle, our inner circle. Sometimes it's people within the home. Sometimes it's a family member. And I'm not talking about things illegal. I'm just talking about, about things that hurt the friendship and hurt the relationship. And sometimes we, sometimes we're the people. We do the crazy things. We say that hurtful thing. We act in a, in a way that, that is contrary to what God would want. But aren't you glad tonight for people who gave you another chance? You know what David was doing? He was given another chance. He didn't harbor ill will. He didn't alienate them because of their past behavior. Can I say we need to remember this in our lives as well, that God, he is still able to work on people's hearts, on someone's heart. And even though things may seem like they're unraveling, God can, God can still work on the hearts of people. You know, that's a good thing. That's a good principle, I think, for us to remember. I, uh, I'll tell you, it's a good thing for me to remember. I remember I was studying this afternoon, and even this morning uh, after the service, I was thinking about uh, this message. I already had, the, of course, a lot of the points and different things worked out, but I was just, for some reason, my mind was on this point. And this morning, I, find my, I found myself thinking, man, God, what's going on? God, what's going on with this situation or with that situation? And I find myself, I found myself just even today, God's saying, hey, what are you preaching tonight? Well, when things are unraveling, you're still in control. Yeah, well, tell me the points. Oh, well, you can see past the schemes of man. Yeah, what's the next one Uh, that you can still work on hearts? You know what sometimes we want to do? We want to make people choose what we want them to choose. You know, what we need to recall is the fact that God can work on hearts when we can't. Hey, God can work on that coworker's heart. Hey, God, that family member that has just turned you down again and again and again and again for your faith, God can work on them. Hey, that that loved one who's been speaking spiteful things towards you, God can work on their heart. Hey, no heart is too big for God. Does <laughs> it make sense? We can think, well, that one's too far gone. That one's too lost. That one, they're, they're too, no. No one is past God's power. When things seem to be unraveling, remember God is bigger than our, the schemes of man. Remember God is still able to work on the heart. Number three, God is still stronger than the enemy. I love this thought and I hope we'll catch it tonight that, that God is bigger than the enemy. Notice in our passage, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6 through 9. And the king and his men, they went unto Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, the Jebusites from Jerusalem, the, the really the stronghold of that, of that land at the time. And they spake saying this, except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the, stronghold of Zion, the same is the city of David. And David said on that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, the uh, blind and the lame shall not come. I'm skipping. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. Now this can be a Confusing passage, but I'll we'll explain it real quick. it make a lot of sense, hopefully. If it doesn't, then I didn't explain it real good. But here's David. <clears throat> He's in now the land. He's the king. But the battles aren't over. The next enemy they come to is a well-fortified enemy in the city of Jerusalem. You can go read about what happened in First Chronicles chapter number 11. But when the 11 tribes came to anoint David king, over 300,000 people came to meet him. Over 300,000 came, and they were all prepared for war. You can imagine David looking and thinking, man, why are they coming down here like that? And yet all of those Israelites come. They say, hey, David, we're with you. And David says, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem wasn't the capital city yet. Up until this point in history, actually, Jerusalem had never been occupied by God's people. Isn't that interesting? Up until this point, I mean, literally hundreds of years since God promised the land to uh, Abraham and then Moses and then Joshua and then all through the judges, all of them, no one ever took Jerusalem. Joshua didn't take it. None of the judges defeated it. Solomon never took it. The reason was because there was only one good way to attack. There still is only one good way to attack the city of Jerusalem, maybe from the north. The east, south, and the west, they all have uh, natural protection points. But Jerusalem is one of the most important places that God wanted his people to have. You can go back and research the promises of God to them. Jerusalem was that stronghold that God wanted But we read that the Jebusites lived there. And I want us to know something tonight that the Jebusites, they had lived there for a long time. Numbers 13, all the way back with Moses. Numbers 13, 29, the spies went into the land and came back, and this is part of their report to Moses. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea. And by the coast of Jordan, hey, Moses, the Jebusites are there. The, the Hittites are there. This is them coming back saying, hey, we can take it. Caleb and Joshua, you go and read that right after this. Uh, they're recounting everything, and Caleb's the one. He says, that it's okay. It's all right. God promised us the land. Let's go in. And of course, we know the story. They didn't go in. They didn't take the land. Fast forward to 38, 39, 40 years later, Joshua goes into the land. And Joshua and the people of Israel, they're about to cross over the the Jordan. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Hey, listen up. Here's what God has to say. Joshua said, hereby shall you know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Hey, listen, God is going to help you and help me expel these people from this land. And yet, go read the book of Joshua. They never pushed out the Jebusites. Go read the book of Judges. We just finished our series last year. I think, was that last year? The year before that, 2019 maybe? I don't know when that series was, but man, the series, I think it was called Relentless. How God pursues his people. And through that, the people kept making the mistake of they never never went up. They never went and took the Jebusites. When you come to 2 Samuel 5, you could almost find David saying, God, you promised us the land. God, you failed us. But was it God who had failed them? No. No, it was them who had failed. But in our chapter, David steps out by faith and he's gonna take the land. Now, here's how it went down. Verse number six is really some trash talk. We're seeing seeing biblical trash talk here. Notice what it says. Verse number six, the king and his men. So David and all the men now, all these 300,000, these troops and the the Judah, all 12 tribes, they go and, and they go into the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Now they're at Jerusalem. And the Jebusites, they say over to David, hey. Except thou take away the the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. And they said that thinking, David can't get in here. Now, you say, well, what do they mean except he take over the blind and the lame? They're literally saying, our city is so strong, we could defend it with blind people and lame people, and you're not getting in here. That's what they're, it's trash talk. Man, we're we're putting in the C squad, and you're still not going to beat us hey, we're not, we're not putting in the JV, we're putting in the elementary kids and your team still won't beat us. That's their mindset. Man, we're putting in the, the worst of the worst. Verse number seven tells us, nevertheless, David took it. <laughs> well, how did David take it? I found a really cool video that a friend of mine referenced that I looked up and it's about, about three, three and a half minutes long. And it's a great insight from a researcher in Israel about how, Jerusalem would have been taken.
1: About 3,000 years ago, David, son of Jesse, is crowned king of Israel. This is the beginning of the royal house of David. David decides that Jerusalem, positioned at the heart of the Israelite territory, will be the capital of his kingdom. But Jerusalem is a powerful and intimidating Canaanite city. And until David's time, no tribe has been able to conquer it. Now, once again, confident of their fortifications, the Jebusites take up positions on the city walls. The young King David challenges the complacent enemy. He is determined. This time, Jerusalem must fall. I كان בשנת 1995 פרופסור שוקון סרידים של מגדל שנבנה לפני 4000 שנה. שוקלת מספר רב של חלק ממגדל שנבנה ממש You shall not come in here. The Jebusites mock David. They station blind and lame men on the city walls. The message is clear. The city is so strong that even the blind and the lame can easily defend it. He promises the esteemed position of head of the army to the soldier who dares to volunteer for this dangerous mission and succeeds. One man rises to the challenge. Joab ben Zeruiah, a tough and daring soldier. But what is the mission? In his challenge, David uses two mysterious words. Ve'iga batzinor. What is this tsinor that David is referring to? Thousands of years later, a fascinating discovery was made, shedding light on the mysterious tsinor. In 1867, the archaeologist Captain Charles Warren crawled through a tunnel near the Gihon Spring. About 20 meters from the spring, Warren discovered a vertical shaft that rose to a height of 13 meters above his head. With great effort, Warren climbed to the top of the shaft where, to his amazement, he discovered that the tunnel continued to rise steeply until it reached the city above. They They built a great citadel around the spring and dug a tunnel down from the city above to the citadel surrounding the spring. He sends Joab and Surya through this tunnel to infiltrate the city. After Job exits the tunnel, he runs down to the city gates. The jubicide soldiers fail to notice him. Job reaches the city gates and opens them with great force. Before the Jubisites can grasp what has happened, David's soldiers burst through the gates and take the city by surprise.
0: Isn't that awesome? That's how the story is recounted in the book of Chronicles. And it's a pretty interesting story, but the cool thing is, is we've been there. And uh, Miss Anita, you remember walk, walking in there and we, uh, we hike this and you can walk in, you can go all the way through all the tunnels, and you find, I mean, this is a picture just going, we were going down the, that, that, um, that video kind of going down through it, we're going down through it, and you're seeing all of this going, wow, that's incredible. He talked about that tower that was made with those big boulders of literally stood just right next to that, and, and you're standing there in amazement, but I bring all of that to, to the thought tonight, and I bring it up to a point, you know, God was teaching David God was teaching David, hey, I'm bigger than your enemies. Hey, they can stand, they can mock. Remember, David, remember 20 years ago? Hey, I I helped you slay Goliath. Here's a city that's a Goliath. David, I'm bigger than this. And we got to go there. If you're going to Israel with us, we'll do it again. But this is on the the left is me and Micah. We're walking through one of the tunnels. On the right is me and Anita. I just wanted to put that in there, Anita. Tell you, Anita, I'm, I want to ask you how old you were and when you did that. But uh, Anita walked today for 109 minutes. So if she can do that, uh, she can do that. Do walk through those tunnels. And I remember coming out, and we came out of those tunnels right into the city. And that's exactly what Joab did. The Bible told us the truth, and now history proves it. You know what God? You know what God was showing David? He was showing him the Bible principle that's still in the Word of God. First, John, first John four four. Year of God, little children. And you have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, that verse is still in the Bible and it still applies to today. And when David was facing this fortified city thinking, how can I get in? God gave him a plan. And through that plan, that one man, Joab, got in and went up and opened the city gates and they just walked right in. You know, David was teaching him, hey, David, when things seem to be unraveling, you need to remember I'm bigger than your enemies. Hey, David, you may think that you don't have the capital, but I'm bigger than your enemies. Sometimes when things seem to be unraveling, we, need to th- we, we think sometimes that God has somehow lost control. And when, when situations we kind of throw our arms up in disgust and we feel like all hope is lost and we attribute victory to the enemy, but we need to remember that God is still stronger than every enemy that we will ever face. Our theme verse for the year, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hey, we have more than just a, an overtime victory. We have a conquering victory because of Jesus Christ. I love that song. Our, uh, the choir and ensemble will sing, our God is victorious. He always wins. He always wins. David was learning God is stronger than the enemy. I see tonight that when things seem to be unraveling, we need to remember first off that God is still bigger than the schemes of man. God is still able to work on the hearts of people. God is still stronger than the enemy. And lastly tonight, and don't miss this, God is still with you and wanting to work through you. Hey, when things seem to be unraveling, God is still with you And wanting to work through you, First Samuel or Second Samuel, five, verse ten and ten through twelve, we read these words. And David went on, and he grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they uh, built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. After all of these things, David doesn't get boastful. He doesn't come to the place where pride is ruling in his life, although there were times where that was David's story. That's not this time right now. No, David's story right now is, wow, God, you did this. Wow, God, God you really worked some things out. Wow. Wow. God, you were in control the whole time. But David didn't didn't just stop at, God, you did this. No, David recognized that God was with him, and David recognized the purpose of why God was doing it. And don't miss this tonight. Verse number 12, David's perception was this, God, you are blessing me so that I can be a blessing to people. That's what verse 12 says. He perceived that the Lord had said, "Hey God, you did this. You've established me king over Israel, and you have exalted your kingdom for your people's Israel's sake." Hey God, the reason you're doing, the reason you've done this, is so that I can be a blessing to others, so that we can lift you up. And even though things seem to be unraveling, David looked back and he said, God, you were with me this whole time and you've been doing this so that I can be used in the lives of those around me. I wonder tonight, can you look at how God has blessed your life and see that he's done it so that you can be a blessing to others? Even in the times when it seems like things are unraveling, God is still working to use you to be a blessing to people. David recognized, God, you're working in me so that I might help others. And I want to tell you tonight that the same is true in your life and mine, that when, when it seems like things are unraveling, hey, God's still at work, and God still wants to use you to be a blessing to people. You know what we do? When things seem to be a little chaotic and unraveling and going nuts, we focus on us. We, I, I'm, maybe I'm just preaching to me. I'm that way. When things go unravel, when things go crazy, you know what I want to do? I just want to be alone. I don't want to be around people, maybe my family, but even sometimes I'm like, no, you guys are too loud. You're too, too noisy. I just want to be by myself. And you know what we do sometimes? We forget that, hey, God, God's still working, and he wants to work through this time to be a blessing through you to somebody else. So I want to close tonight just with one thought, and that's this. When things seem to be unraveling, remember that God is still at work. Hey, no matter what it is, financial, health, relational, family, school, work, I don't know, whatever it is, this week if something starts to just go a different way than what you planned, hey, God's still working. Hey, God's still working what can I do during that time? You can remember that God's bigger than the schemes of man. You can remember that God is still able to work on people's hearts. You can remember that God is stronger than the enemy. And you can remember that God is with you. And God is still wanting to use you during this time. So I want to encourage you and I make the decision that as you go through times, maybe even this week when it seems as though things are unraveling, that you'll remember God is still at work. I have a God I can trust. And though I may not know the who, the what, the when, the where, the how, the why, I may not know those answers. I know the person who does, and so I'm just gonna hold his hand and walk through this time. I hope that'd be a help to us tonight, and I hope we'd remember just that thought. When things seem to be unraveling, remember God is still at work. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you, And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.